In Matthew's Gospel and uh, chapter number 21, we'll begin reading in verse number 12. We've been preaching on those places that Jesus visited while he was here on earth. We realize that he never took a step outside of the will of God. Every step had and was according to the divine purposes of the Lord. Yet also we know that every step he took, he had you in mind and he had me in mind. So we've been sort of going back into those places, to those uh, experiences that Jesus had and letting it make application to our hearts because we realize he's still walking and he's still stepping with us today. But now I want to move a step further tonight, and I want us to notice how that Jesus is in the temple. If you'll read the four Gospels, you'll notice that he enters into the temple many times, and he teaches, and uh, he preaches there. I happened to be in uh, Mississippi in a meeting, a morning Bible conference. There was a well-known writer and preacher of English descent there, great man of God. And uh, he was talking about this matter of teaching and preaching. He said, I don't know, I don't think I, I, th- I don't think there is a difference between teaching and preaching. And he said, I cannot see it in the Bible. And uh, so I got up after him just to joke a little bit. And I said to him, I said, well, our dear brother from England, he doesn't know the difference between teaching and preaching. But I said, uh, you got to be from the South to know the difference between teaching and preaching. I said, all us Southern boys know that teaching is when you tell it and preaching is when you yell it. So there is a whole lot of difference. But Jesus was in the, in the temple and he said, I was preaching and and I was teaching. But as I began to absorb this this matter of Jesus and the many visits, and you can read them for yourselves. We'll read just portions here. I noticed that when Jesus would go into this temple, he he would go in to challenge them. He would go in to confront them. Now, I'm glad that there are times when Jesus is interested in comforting me. But then there are times when he's interested in confronting me. I need comfort, but I also need confrontation. Uh, It is the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. And when God's tearing things up, it doesn't mean he's necessarily being mean. He may be being good to you and uh, jerking you out of your stale religion and uh, turning you around a little bit and letting you see him as he really is. And so we're going to notice that Jesus is in the temple and how that he is challenging us, how he is confronting us, uh, how he is pressing us, uh, how he is, uh, he is aggravating us, he is agitating us. Uh, he, is, he is taking us to the limit. Now let's read these verses and you can pick up on this this agitation. Uh, There's a fight going to happen as we read these verses. But it may amuse you and surprise you to know that the Pharisees 
wasn't the one that started the fight. You say, who started it? Jesus did. He, he went in to start a fight. And I'm going to tell you every now and then, he steps into my life to start a fight. Uh, he's coming in with contention. He's coming in pointing out some issues. And he's coming in, uh, I'll tell you, to have a confrontation with me and with you. And he does that periodically. He's out to challenge us. Now, notice in verse 12, And Jesus went in to the temple of God, cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. (laughs) I love that little song that says, Sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, what a wonder you are. You sense that sweetness right there? And overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the scribes and the, or the priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. See that confrontation's taking place there. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. Now look down in verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? He said, you're coming in here like you're taking this place over. I mean, we're just not used to that. We usually vote on things around here. We don't let somebody just come in and rule the show. Uh, But uh, notice with me now, on over in chapter number uh, 23, And verse 2, if you read those texts there, you'll see he's still in the temple. Jesus is speaking in verse 1, and he's saying in verse 2, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at the feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, notice in verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them 
that are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe to you, ye blind guides, would say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is the debtor. Look in verse 24. Ye blind guides would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribe. Sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, what a wonder you are. <laughs> Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you are full of extortion and excess. Woe unto you, verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like until whited sepulchers which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Verse 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, how can you escape the damnation of hell. Chapter 24 and verse 1. I don't even think I need to re- preach this. <laughs> and Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now this temple, I want to say three things about it, but I want us to see it in typology. Of course, the temple was a literal building. It was uh, a building that was sort of erected, in the Old Testament during Zerubbabel's time. But then when Herod came in and took over that political position as king, uh, he wanted to placate, he wanted to gain the favor of the people, and uh, so he built them this temple. He sort of remodeled it, and they say that it was a magnificent edifice or building that he erected. And, of course, it's in memory of the one that was in Solomon's day when the glory was in it and and, uh, when uh, the Ark of the Covenant was within it and and all of the instruments that were within it. So it was a, a, it, it represented a building. It was a building that they were in. But you and I know also that, that this matter of a temple is represented as far as the believer is concerned, or as far as you and I, as God's church, is concerned. Uh, We are inhabited by Him as far as being uh, believers, fitly, jointly put together, as uh, Paul talked about it. 
But also we realize that this, uh, this temple represents our body. Uh, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. Uh, we are inhabited and indwelled by God. And so I want us to see this matter of Jesus coming uh, onto the grounds of our temple, so to speak. And there He confronts us. There He challenges us. There He questions us. It is there that He takes us to the limit, if you will. Now, someone has said that I've heard that that Jesus will not, He is such a polite God that that he, he won't ever press nor challenge you. If you don't want to do it, He won't make you do it. Only problem is, I can't find that in the Scripture. I know Jonah never said that. Not after he got done going to Nineveh. Uh, the Lord, uh, He oft times will come into your life when you get sort of comfortable and you think everything is all right. You don't realize that you're slipping into a throne and you're sort of taking over matters that are not really yours. They belong to Him. But you don't know that until He confronts you with it. And He'll come into your life and He'll begin to agitate you. He'll begin to frustrate you. He'll begin to aggravate you. You'll just be going to church. You'll say, we have a meeting tonight. I'm going to go have a good time. And you do intend on going to have a good time. But the problem is, Jesus shows up to start a fight. And uh, He begins to pick on you. And He begins to prick you as He did uh, the Apostle Paul. And it's sort of like Abraham. He had his little old baby. And he was so happy with his... With his uh, uh, Isaac, and then God showed up one day and said, I want that boy on the mountain up there. I want you to offer him up. Oh, boy, what a fight. What a confrontation. What a wrestling match would take place as, as, uh, as he does so often throughout the Word of God. And uh, so I want, you to, I want you to think about this matter of Christ confronting you or Christ challenging you, Christ taking you to the limit. Now, first of all, and I only mentioned three things about this. First of all, I want you to notice how, how Jesus confronts the religion of their life. He confronts the religion of their life. Now, we realize that this matter of, of the temple meant a whole lot to Israel. Uh, this matter of the temple uh, surrounded every part of their lives. Religiously, they were connected to that uh, temple. Spiritually, they were connected to that temple. Morally, they were connected to that temple. It had everything to do with even the political side of life in the connections to Herod. And Herod was the one who who appointed the high priests. He had that much power and authority. It affected the social life. The last thing you wanted to happen to you was to be excommunicated from the temple. It was kind of like being blackballed. It not only affected you in going into the temple, but it affected you as far as finding any kind of work or anything of that nature. It affected you economically, everything about it. 
Of course, that temple was their pride. It was their joy. It was connect, their connection to the traditions of the past. And all the customs of the past emanated from uh, their temple that was still established. It was their Mecca. It was their mosaic. It, it was their, their rock to the past. It actually, instead of taking them to God, it had come to the place of which it kept them from God. And can I say to you that that which is meant to take us to God, if we're not careful, we'll get so sewed up on it in a different level till it'll keep us from God. And what Jesus will do is He'll come and shake you up. Turn you inside out. He'll come and confront you because He doesn't want this to keep you from God but to take you to God. And so I notice that what He does here is He confronts the religion of their lives. He confronts them in the area of their of their temple. Now, two things that I would say about this that, that is, is very clear. These people did worship, but they had no reality in their worship. The reason being is because they were worshiping a building. And they were worshiping the tangible, but they were not worshiping the God of the building. Now, Two things I would say. First of all, you know and I know that everything about the temple of God when Solomon erected it was to be a picture, a photo of someone to come, was it not? I don't care what area, if you're talking about the instruments in the temple, it spoke of the ministry of Christ. If you're talking about uh, the brazen altar, it, it, of course, spoke of the sacrifice of Christ. If you're talking about the brazen labor, it talked about, it, it was the, the, uh, the sanctifying uh, uh, ability of Christ. If you're talking about that light that is on the lamp on the inside, it, it is speaking of Christ who is our, our sight. And, and if you're speaking of the incense, uh, altar of incense, you're speaking of Christ who is our prayer. And, and all the way through the Ark of the Covenant, you're speaking of, of Christ in our connection to God. Everything about it was one grand picture. Everywhere you looked, you saw a reminder, a picture of one who was to come. And here they are in the midst of all of that, carrying on all of that activity. But there's no reality to it. They're caught up in a picture, and now it has become vague. The form has faded. It's nothing more than tradition in the past. No reality to it. You say, why? Because right in the midst of where all the pictures are, the person who those pictures are reminders of, walks into his own house and they don't know who he is. If there had been any reality in their worship, they'd have said, hey, hey, look, that's him. He, he's, he's, he's the altar of sacrifice. Hey, that's him. He, he's the light of the world. That, that's him. He's the bread of life. That, that's him. He, hey, look, look, that's him. 
so caught up in religion that when he walked in, they didn't even know who he was. The danger in this hour of denomination and, and churchism and Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians, the whole nine yards... He said, if we're not careful, this thing which God gave us to bring him to himself and magnify his son will be no more than a picture. And it'll be vague, but there will not be the person. Which would you rather have? A picture or the person? I'd rather have the person, wouldn't you? Now, Jesus came and... He posed for them several times so that hopefully they might see him. He gave them one opportunity after another. In the midst of their services, he posed for them. They ought to have recognized him. He's posing. He came in as the baby. And other than two people, nobody else knew who he was. <laughs> They ought to be in saying, looky, 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 who's here? But they didn't. He came in as a boy. A young boy. And there he began to answer their questions and ask their questions and showed that there was more to him than just being a young boy. But yet, he, he posed. He said, hey, I'm here. Hey, They never saw him. He came in as a teacher and he taught and he preached to them and he posed for them. He, he showed them himself from every angle. He said, guess again, guess again, guess again, guess again. They said, we don't know who you are. Where are you getting all this authority? You need to get out of here. What? You're trying to run him out of his own house? It's his house. Malachi said he'd come to his house. He came in. But you see, there was no there is never any reality when it's nothing but pictures. It's nothing but sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. It's nothing but just songs and sermons and buildings and books and offerings and all that other stuff. May it be our prayer and may Christ challenge us service after service after service to take us beyond the picture. And may we not leave out of here until we've known that we've met with a person and we've let the person speak to us. We're not satisfied with the picture. And so I noticed that he confronts them in their religion. The religion of their life by his person. He said, hey, it's me. Hey, it's me. You see, they had gotten so... Uh, they had gotten so uh, caught up in the routines of religion until the worst thing that could happen for them is for him to show up. And I'm going to tell you, there are times in our lives that we just seem to be going on uh, so smoothly that, that 
the, we don't realize that the worst thing that can happen, it's really the best thing, but when you're saying, Lord, would you visit us, you may be getting more than what you're asking for. Because if he shows up, he's showing up to let you know he's not a picture, he's a person. Now you can treat a picture any way you want to. Nobody won't pay you no mind about it. Isn't it amazing? Some of you got pictures of your loved ones laying in old drawers that nobody even knows about. Well, I'm not throwing no stones. I do too. I've got some in my billfold that I probably haven't looked at it three, four years or more. Huh? <laughs> Put them in them little old booklets you do. You've had them pictures in there 90 years. They're back in some place somewhere. If somebody asks you, you don't know. Well, you can do pictures that way. Huh? You can treat pictures any old way. Well, honey, you can't treat the person that way because he's alive. He's real. He's here to be dealt with and to deal with you. He said, I'm, I'm not the, I'm the person of this event. I like it when the person walks in, don't you? He comes to confront us personally. <laughs> yeah, he does. He confronts our religion, the religion of our lives, by his, by his person. But then, secondly, I want you to notice, and I don't think that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the doctors and the lawyers and the high priests, and, you know, all those titles, don't, you know, that's, that's one sign he ain't nowhere around. Everybody wants a title. And they got all these titles of position. All of these titles of authority. Men setting themselves up in places they got no business taking the position because it belongs to somebody else. <laughs> when he came into his house, it was his house. But you see, I don't think they realized that, that there was any animosity, that there was any, uh, anything cantankerous. They didn't realize that they were actually living in rebellion. You never know how rebellious you are until Christ shows up and deals with that rebellion. Until he puts his finger on a point in your life, a place, an event, a thing, or a possession, and says to you, I just come by to remind you, that's mine. I just come by to tell you that you're mine. I just come by to tell you that's not your time. I just come by to tell you that this is mine. And he begins to begin, and then don't you begin to squirm a little bit and get a little agitated? Now, we're all wonderful saints. We're all great Christians. We're all just so lovey-dovey as long as we're not being confronted in areas of our lives that we're comfortable with. But Jesus is not interested in leaving you in your comfort zone. He realizes if he's going to help you and get you to the Father, he's going to have to come in and do something. He's going to have to confront you. He's going to have to hit that sore button. He's going to have to punch that sore spot. 
He comes in and He confronts them in the rebellion of their lives. They are filled with rebellion. Why? Because they already accepted these authoritative positions. They thought they were something for God. They had been appointed. Oh, I've been appointed. I have been delegated to, to take care of this matter. We've been sent to ask you by what authority you speak like you speak. Because the Bible said he spoke with authority. And that's what really got the people and the priests understood that. They noticed when he got, they got up and spoke, everybody went to sleep. But when Jesus got up and spoke, business picked up. I mean, he came in with power. And when he came in to preach, I mean to tell you, uh, things changed in there. And he, I'm saying to you, he, he challenged them in the rebellion of their heart. And they're full of rebellion because they've been appointed. And it, they had never, 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 never had anybody come in there and preach that was anointed. And the first one that came that was anointed was the one, the person from who, for whom it was all about anyway. And they challenged his authority. But he's the one that started to fight. Somebody said, well, how did he challenge their rebellion? Well, he, he, he challenged their religion by his person. He challenged their rebellion by his preaching. Did you hear what I heard? Huh? <laughs> did you hear? Uh-huh. You know what that do the average preacher nowadays? Oh, boy. <laughs> sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, what a wonder. Somebody said, preacher, when you preach, you stepped on my toes. I didn't mean to. I was shooting for your heart. That's what Jesus was doing. He came in there and he began to deal with those Pharisees by his preaching. And in his preaching, he began to reveal things about them that they had kept secret for so long. He revealed their hearts. He revealed their hate. He revealed their hypocrisy. He revealed their hands. He revealed everything about them. And he said, you're nothing but rebellious. And boy, I'm going to tell you, they began to rise up. They began to kill the one they claimed to worship because he was God and they claimed to worship God. They, they got mad. Somebody said, pray, pray that Jesus will make me sweet, make me good. Well, you know, before he can ever make you sweet and good, he's got to make you mad and mean. Because you see, them folks was full of the devil. You don't realize how much devil you got in you, how much bad attitude you got in you. You don't realize how much of your life you're running and ruling. You don't realize how many thrones that you've, you're sitting on that you just, you don't even know you're sitting there because you hadn't been challenged on that throne. <laughs> huh? You hadn't been challenged on that throne. 
And I'm not talking about some preacher challenging it. I'm not talking about some Sunday school preacher, uh, teacher challenging it. I'm not talking about some church. I'm talking about when Jesus shows up and says, Hey, I'm here to challenge you on this matter and tell you that I'm the authority and it's all mine and you're going to do this. Has he ever done that to you with this? Honey, if you ain't never been, and this is the weak part, if you haven't never been challenged over tithing, you don't know nothing yet about being challenged. I'm sorry for you. You got a lot to be challenged about. But it goes more than tithing. Have you ever been sitting there in the service? And you done figured out your finances, knew what you could do and you couldn't do and how much you had and, and what you owed and all that other stuff. And Jesus come in, all you was doing, you was just innocent. You come in to have a good time. I just want to have a good time. I went to church to have a good time. You didn't realize you were sitting on your throne. Then the Holy Ghost come back there and said, Hey, how about putting so-and-so in the offering? Oh, Lord, I didn't come here for that. Now, wait a minute, Lord, I can't do that. I'm going to tell you right now, don't argue with him because it goes higher. Every time you, every time I've ever argued with him, it's always went higher. So you might as well get rid of it to start with. Huh? What are you doing running that thing? Get off that throne. I've done that in my children's lives. I had two boys. They've never given me an ounce of trouble, and I hope they don't ever. Uh, both of them's called to preach, but you know how somehow sometimes that goes, so I'm not bragging. But I had two daughters that, well, that's another story. But now they've gotten right with the Lord and serving the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. Once they got off on that trail, I was I, I was the man of God. And I thought, man, I'm going to run this show. And I did everything I could do to take the throne of their lives. And Jesus had to come by one day and say, hey, they're not yours. They're mine. Now get your hands off from them. Turn it over to me and I'll do something about it. And for the first time, I could rest when I let him have what was his all alone. Huh? Boy, I pastored up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's the most beautiful spot in the world. And especially right the church where I pastored. I could take you there and show you and you'd say it. It's the truth. And I told those people I'd pastored there 18 and a half years. I said, this is where I'll die. And I thought I would. That's where I wanted to die. And lo and behold, right in the midst of me having a good time, I went to church one Sunday and said, boy, the Lord's going to show up. We're going to have a good time. And I was up preaching right in the midst of my preaching. You know what he said? It's time for you to leave here and go into evangelism. Lord, you could hit me with a ton of bread. You know what I told him? While I was preaching, you know what I told him? Now, you may not be this way, but I said, no, not me. You got the wrong guy, Lord rebellion rose up in me. I said, no, I can't be so. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run the roads. I'm not going to take a chance on starving to death. I thought I'd end up on the side of the road with a sign that said, we'll preach for food. I'm not doing that. And I'm going to tell you every day after that, every time I'd stand in that pulpit, he'd come right back and put his finger on the same spot. I'd say, leave that alone. I'm not preaching on that. I'm going to go over and preach on that. And lo and behold, he'd find it in that. 
He'd say, well, right there it is in that text. Didn't you see it there? I'd say, yeah, but I'm going to go over in the New Testament somewhere away from that. And I'd go over and he'd say, right there it is too. Everywhere I looked in that book, there it was. Faith, trust in Him. And I got no peace. He started a fight. I was getting along. I wouldn't bother nobody. He started a fight. He come in there and confronted me. Mind my own business. Well, I'll tell you something. If he ever starts one, he intends on finishing. <laughs> it took two years, but honey, I come out of there like a vagabond. I was just a nervous wreck. <laughs> Throwed up that white flag and said, Okay, Lord, I'm gone. <laughs> you can have it. I'm here to tell you that he confronts them. He confronts them as far as their religion is concerned by his person. He confronts them as far as their rebellion is concerned by, by his preaching. He reveals everything about them. Well, that's the wonderful thing about good old-fashioned Holy Ghost gospel preaching that we all need. And you never get beyond that because God uses that to show you who you really are and to dethrone you from time to time. Now, don't look at me and say, well, he thinks that he, he's already... No, no, no. There's probably 10,000 things I'm sitting on the throne of, but he ain't said nothing yet. You understand what I'm saying? He ain't said nothing yet. Now, when he says something, that's when it's going to reveal whether I've got rebellion or not. But he's there to deal with the rebellion that is in our hearts. And we don't even realize it until he does that, has that confrontation with us. By the preaching. Boy. And did he preach to them? I've got another sermon on that and I won't preach it tonight. But I I sometimes, you know how the uh, Jeff Foxworthy has that little thing that says you may be a redneck elf. Well, I preach on you may be a Pharisee if. And boy, Jesus just lays it right out as to how pharisaical that uh, they are. And, and he, he, he causes them to, to boil up. And he, he, he begins to deal with that rebellion that's on the inside. Somebody said, I wish you'd leave it alone. Well, is that why you go to the doctor when you've got an ailment or a sickness? I don't want him to agree with you and say, yeah, well, okay, yeah, 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 I've got a pain here, but I think that's just nothing but gas, and I'll be all right. Oh, okay, well, go on home. You'll be all right. No, I don't want no doctor like that. I want a doctor who said, oh, no, well, wait a minute. Uh, come over here and let me check that. How's that? Oh, man, don't hit it. Don't touch it. I mean, it'll be all right if you don't touch it. Well, there's something going on in there. No, it's a gas pain. That's what it is. It's a nerve runs right over through there, and... And uh, I'll tell you, when I swell up, it just hurts right there. I think I'm okay, Doc. Just give me something for pain. No, I'm not going to do that. We're going to have to get you to swallow a light and go down. Oh, I ain't swallowing no light. Have you ever swallowed one of them things? Man, alive. I mean, I swallowed them before they put you to sleep when you swallowed them. And, and it ain't too comfortable, but we're going to have to get you or light, or, or we're going to have to do some x-rays, or we may have to do some uh, emergency surgery and go in, oh, no, don't. Well, if he does his job, he's going to have to do what it takes to find out what's wrong with you. And I'm going to tell you, if Jesus does his job, he's going to take that book, and he's going to do some surgery, he's going to do some pressing, he's going to do some confronting, 
until you realize and say, Oh, Doc, you're right. Jesus, you're right. I didn't know that was in there. I didn't know I had that attitude. I didn't know I was so rebellious. <laughs> you ever heard that old song? Sweet Jesus. Sweet Jesus. But I want you to notice how he not only deals with the religion of their lives by his person, he shows up. He's more than the picture. He deals with the rebellion of their lives by his, by his preaching. He reveals so much. But he deals with the results, the ramifications of their lives. What's going to be the end of this? If it's not dealt with, if it's not settled, if they're not going to turn it over. Let me say this to you. Anything that he deals with you over that you do not turn over is going to end up just like that temple ended up. He deals with it in a prophetical sense. But before he ever gives the prophetical sense, he deals with it individually and and inside when he takes and turns that table upside down and he runs them out of there, whips them out of there. He whips them out. (laughs) You ever heard that old song? I don't need to sing it, do it. But he said, I, just, I don't know what was wrong with the preacher the way, the way he preached. <laughs> I don't think it was right what he said. And he ran them out. But I mean, there's two sides to that. There, there is the, the painful side and the passion side. There's the hurting side and there's the helping side. While some are running that way, others are running this way. He's just making room. <laughs> huh? Somebody said he run them all out. No, he didn't. He didn't run them all out. He run the rebellious crowd out, and the sinners had room to come in. Huh? And when those sinners got in there, honey, I'm going to tell you, the first one that come in there, Jesus did a marvelous work on him, a passionate work on him, a healing work on him, a work that changed his life. You know, it's amazing uh, opinions about, about what God's doing. You know, everybody has an opinion. Can you imagine the opinion on that service? Oh, one of them Pharisees, he gets back to the house. He said, honey, check the back of my leg. Whew. She said, what in the world happened? He said, that preacher was over there. I said he was, and he hit me. Man, I'm telling you, that thing hurt. Whew. Burnt me up. I'll tell you right now, I ain't never going back with him over there. Man, a lie. Woo, I'm hurting. That's the worst service I've ever been in. Like they killed me. And over to the other man's house there. What did he do for him? What's the scripture say that he did for him? Back there in uh, chapter 21, it said, uh, yeah, it said, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Let's just go down the street a little bit. Out of one of the religious crowd that's got rebellion in them, they're walking around a little 
Man, it'll take me a week to get over this. It's a killing me. Then down at the other, down at the other house, somebody said, "Hey, I, did you go down that meeting down there?" Oh yeah, I come in at the end. I don't know what happened at the front. It did. Uh, that crowd looked like they was mad coming out. We said they said it's the worst service ever was. He said, "I don't know how that could be." My goodness, I, I, could, I couldn't even walk. They had to wheel me in. And he said, I come out of walking, praising God. said, everybody went in with me, come out of shouting. said, we had the best time ever was. <laughs> you know why? Because they didn't go in there with authority. They didn't go in there as a big chief and a doctor and a lawyer. They went in there as they all of us need to come every Sunday as sinners submitting to the authority of God. <laughs> said, well, how come he didn't whip you? He said, well, I just let him have his way. I didn't argue with him. I didn't ask him where his authority come from. I didn't go in there like some big chief. Said, I just went in there with a need. And I knew I needed him. And I just sort of submitted to who he was. After all, ain't it his house? I just thought I'd let him have his way, and it works. (laughs) It works. And somehow one verse will just bless one person and tear another one all to pieces. Well, it just depends on where you're at in this matter of rebellion. But he prophesies to them and, and, and he says to them, he said the day's going to come and it did come. Seventy years later, Titus came in and not one stone was left upon another. That great religious edifice that they had, uh, had begun to worship, that they thought that God himself would never let it be harmed, is destroyed. I don't care how precious the object is to your life. It means nothing unless it's placed in the hands of Jesus when he asks for it. Once he has pointed it out and confronted you with it, you either turn it over or it will come to naught. Always comes to naught. Let me read you, uh, let me read you this uh, Psalm 2. It goes right along with this. What do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, cast away their cords from us. He that setteth in heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Look at the last verse down there. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled. But a little, blessed are they that put their trust. In him. He's going to take his rightful place at whatever cost. And can I say to you that the temple passed away, but Jesus still remains. 
And if Jesus did not press, if he did not challenge, if he did not confront us, we would be left to our own little religious rigmarole and formalities. We would never proceed any further and we'd sit on our little thrones like little kings over little areas of our lives. But I'm glad that he's in the business of confronting us. Have you been challenged by him? Surrender immediately. I thought about our own country, and I don't want to end in a negative note, but religiously, educationally, politically, financially, America is moving full speed ahead to try to force God out of any facet of it. When in reality, he deserves all the credit for its origination. They even change history. They rewrite history. So we don't want to, they won't even teach it in our schools. Now they don't even want us to sing our songs of praise because of a country God gave us. They want to push him out. But I'm going to tell you, there's a terrible price to pay. When rebellion rises up and grits its teeth in the face of God Almighty, it stirs up His wrath. And I do believe, and every preacher I talk to believes, payday is coming for America. Since 1973, 53 a million babies aborted. I looked that up on the map, not counting the East Coast and the West Coast. You would have to wipe out 26 states to cover that many people. Destroy all the people in 26 of our centralized states to take care of that. But I'm going to tell you, as God's children... Let us be cautious and not be just religious. And I'm not saying that we ought to nitpick ourselves, but you know it when the Holy Ghost is pointing out something. And when he does, he's starting a fight. The best thing to do is just go ahead and give it to him.